97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and the UNC Hustman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC journalism professor, Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, Super Bowl 54. Our guest, David Glenn, host of the David Glenn Show and founding editor of accsports.com. So, David, I think what we have here is the typical unstoppable object uh, versus, uh, what's, what's that saying? You can't stop. <laughs> Immovable object versus unstoppable yeah. force. Yeah. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary, Charlie, right? kind of the macro view, if you will. I think everybody in football, if you could only pick one quarterback, you would take Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs in this particular matchup, and he was the MVP last year, so you might take him over any quarterback. But if you could pick any roster, any depth chart from top to bottom, A to Z, or a great defense, it would be the San Francisco 49ers. So a lot of folks are doing a deep dive into Super Bowl history through 53 years, wondering what happens when one team has the better quarterback and the other team has the better depth chart. And I was actually surprised that the research usually points to the idea that the more well-rounded team, in this case the 49ers, usually wins the game. But, of course, those star quarterbacks steal a few victories here and there as well. All right, so define for me well-rounded, because I think of San Francisco on the offensive side as four yards and a cloud of dust, Mm -hmm. except when they have to throw the ball. Yeah, no, that's a good point. When I say well-rounded, I mean uh, with Bosa and others on the defensive line, they have one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. With a rejuvenated Richard Sherman uh, among those in the secondary, they have one of the more effective defensive backs in the groups in the NFL. Offensively, they run the ball extremely well, but on the rare occasions where their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, has been asked to throw the ball, maybe because they're behind in the second half, he has actually led three or four second-half comeback victories with his arm. He just doesn't have huge numbers because most of the time the 49ers running game and defense puts the game out of reach, and there was that playoff game not too long ago where Jimmy only had to throw the ball eight times because the 49ers were doing everything else so well he didn't have to throw the ball. Yeah, not so eight, not a completion, well not eight completions, but eight attempts. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's what I mean by well-rounded. It sounds like something out of the 1950s, right, or you know, before it was even called the Super Bowl. But here we are in 2020. The 49ers are kind of taking that road less traveled, and it's going to be up to the magic of Patrick Mahomes to try to change that equation. So a lot of pundits have t- uh, talked about, written about, that Mahomes hasn't faced a pass rush like this before. I think m- perhaps even more important than that is because of the way San Francisco runs the ball and controls the clock, you know, the, the opponent cannot score if the opponent doesn't have the ball. Yeah, that's well put. I think there are a lot of old coaches smiling at the way the 49ers are winning. Because, right, what's the, what's the best way to limit your opposing quarterback? Keep them on the sidelines. Let them hold the clipboard. Let them look for cheerleaders in the stands. Just don't put the ball in his hands, right? 
And it's funny, Andy Reid of the Chiefs happens to be the sixth winningest coach in the history of the NFL. And, of course, he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. And the five guys ahead of him have all won multiple either NFL championships way back or Super Bowls since they named it that in the 1960s. All five guys above him, Don Shula, George Hallis among them, Curly Lambeau, the guy that Packers Field is named after, uh, Bill Belichick, of course. Those guys would all love the occasional game or sometimes the entire season where you won with your ground game and your defense. We just don't hear that in the 21st century very often. And yet that's exactly what the 49ers put together on their way to one of the best records in the NFL and really some of the most dominating victories we've seen from any team, including at the expense of the Carolina Panthers right here in our backyard. All right, so what about coaching? What do you think about the coaching matchup? There are two very well-respected offensive gurus in Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid. And I actually think the most fascinating storyline, there are many, but number one to me, I happen to be originally from Philadelphia. I'm an Eagles fan. I, I, I'm a huge admirer of Andy Reid, not only as a coach, but as a person. And he has this narrative chasing him around that he's the guy, kind of like they use the phrase, best golfer without a major. Mm-hmm. He's the best football coach in NFL history without a Super Bowl ring. And he's 21 years into this. And I think it's Bill Cower, formerly of the Steelers, on his way into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Bill Cower had the longest wait. Uh, it was a dozen or so years from when he became a head coach. Among those who won a Super Bowl, Bill Cower's 12-plus year wait was the longest. Well, Andy Reid's in year 21, and he's still waiting. And he has all these consistent success stories. He's almost always in the playoffs. He did take the Eagles to a Super Bowl, but they lost it. He's in a lot of conference championship games, but he hasn't been able to kick the door down. Kyle Shanahan has a different demon because he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons when they let that potential Super Bowl victory get away just a couple years ago. So in different ways, they're both very well-respected coaches, but they're both trying to exercise some demons on Sunday night. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking about Super Bowl 54 with David Glenn. David, I do want to ask one more question about Andy Reid. I was listening to one of the national sports talk shows, and I forget who it was who said this, but given a choice of every head coach in the NFL, who would he prefer to lead his team into the Super Bowl? And other than Bill Belichick... It would be Andy Reid, but Andy Reid doesn't have that, you know, that signature, the, the Super Bowl win. Is Andy Reid that good? He is that good, but I, I don't know if he would be nine, my number two behind Bill Belichick. I watched him all those years with the Eagles. He is universally respected by his players. He is universally respected as an offensive guru. But I think until he becomes a member of the club, you know, there's a street cred that comes with winning a Super Bowl or certainly multiple Super Bowls the way Belichick has so many. And, um, you know, the, some of the other legends of the sport, George Hallis, Curly Lambeau, Don Shula, have multiple titles. And until Andy Reid gets that, yeah, he's going to be regarded as one of the top half dozen head coaches in the NFL because of his body of work over 21 years. But until he kicks the door down and gets that Super Bowl title, 
I'm not sure that he doesn't have just that cloud hovering over him where you can already see this week his players are talking about it. They not only want to get to the Super Bowl for their own reasons, as anybody would say, but they want to win one for the Gipper, so to speak, because they know this story that's been chasing Andy Reid for 21 years. That can be a motivation source, and that's a good thing, but it can also be one of those just uh, demons that you have to exercise to try to put it away for good. All right, so let's go back to the the players' matchups, and and I want to talk about Garoppolo for just a minute. You could say, I think you could make the argument, that any good, pretty good, college quarterback could go run that offense and Mm -hmm. do pretty well at it because what are you doing 95% of the time? You're handing the ball off. Is, is, is that unfair to Garoppolo to say something like that? I'd say that's a slight exaggeration, but it's not like you're off your rocker. Uh, you know, I would say any good NFL quarterback, I think it would take a very good college-level quarterback to be able to do what he has done. And he does have twice as many touchdown passes as interceptions. And he did lead those three or four second-half comebacks on the rare occasions where the 49ers defense did not dominate so much that he was just protecting a lead. So it's interesting that he waited this long, Charlie. I mean, this guy's 28 years old, and this is his first full season as a starter in the NFL. He has missed parts of other years with injuries. Of course, he was Tom Brady's backup in New England for a while. So the same season that allowed for his personal breakthrough, as you say, without spectacular numbers, turns out to be the season that he's leading the 49ers into the Super Bowl. Can that young man handle all of that? On the one hand, he's 28. On the other hand, he's a first-year full-time starter. That, along with Andy Reid, I think is one of the more intriguing narratives of Super Bowl 54. Okay, Mahomes. Excellent quarterback. Uh, Again, the pundits have said he has not faced a front line like he's going to face uh, in in the 49ers. Uh, The games are one of the trenches. Defense wins championships. You know, all, all of those uh, sayings that everybody goes by, can he do what he needs enough to do uh, what he needs to do to, to lead his team to victory against that defense? I think he can, but I'll tell you this. The estimates are that I think it's $7 billion with a B uh, are going to be bet on Super Bowl 54. I will not be among those seven billion dollars with a B because I think it's that unpredictable. I think you could make the case for the 49ers dominant defense and running game and 13 and three record in the regular season and impressive playoff victories. And Jimmy G as the caretaker is enough, but I think you can make a great argument that Patrick Mahomes is the rare exception. And a few times the 49ers lost games to among others, teams that had really good versatile quarterbacks who could not only beat you with their arm, but Mahomes has shown even in these playoffs he can beat you with his legs. That's why this is a one-point, I think, point spread in Las Vegas. That's why you have half the people betting the Chiefs and half the people betting the 49ers, at least among many you know, uh, NFL players, for example, who were uh, quizzed at the Pro Bowl who they thought would win. And they deal with those teams all the time, face-to-face, game-plan-to-game plan. So, uh, yes, Patrick Mahomes is the rare guy to be able to pull it off, uh, but, yes, it's going to be a brutally difficult task to make that happen. What are some of the games within the game that you're going to be looking at? Will it, will it be the Chiefs' tight ends against the 49ers' linebackers? Or where do you think the key matchups are? I think uh, you circled one of them. I mean, fun for fans, however way it goes. 
these are the two best tight ends in the National Football League. Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs and George Kittle of the 49ers. Since Rob Gronkowski retired, I mean, they are as good as it gets at that position. So that'll just be fun uh, for anybody watching, regardless of the rooting interest. Maybe the other thing that I would circle next, the Chiefs' run defense is not very good. So anyone figuring out a way for Mahomes to work his magic has to get Mahomes on the field. And as we mentioned earlier, if the 49ers running game, you know, a guy named Raheem Mostert, who most people didn't even know existed a few months ago, just ran for 200-plus yards behind a great 49ers offensive line. If the 49ers could do that to a different playoff team, what are they going to do to a Kansas City Chiefs run defense that finished in the bottom five of the NFL? The Chiefs are very good at passing. They're good at running offensively. They're good at stopping the pass. They're bad at stopping the run. So that, you know, that might be strength against weakness when the 49ers have the ball. And if the Chiefs don't figure out a way to X and O their way out of that problem, you know, that's the matchup I'll be watching because if the 49ers dominate with the run, that gets us right back to Pat Mahomes watching from the sidelines, and that's not what the Chiefs need to win that game. Sports Focus will come right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking with David Glenn about Super Bowl 54. David, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the game within the game. What about s- specific players? And I'm particularly interested in anyone who uh, played at an ACC team. And there, mm. uh, there are a dozen, I think maybe 15 players on the two rosters who went to ACC schools. Anybody really stand out in that group for you? Yeah, I'm trying to run through all of them in my head, so maybe you can give me a few of the more prominent examples. But uh, the first player I think of is not from the ACC, but it's Richard Sherman. Well, uh, this yeah. is a guy who tore his ACL. This is a guy that was once one of the best with the Seahawks, and a lot of people thought he was dead and buried. And now he's not only starting again, he's a huge part of the 49ers' resurgence, not only as a cornerback, but as a leader in the locker room who has the street cred from coming from very successful Seattle teams. So he's, he kind of has a personal narrative that is a challenge, much like Andy Reid has the coaching narrative that is under scrutiny. Uh, another guy that does come from ACC country, uh, Sammy Watkins, at times in his career, you know, first-round draft pick out of Clemson, wide receiver, has been a big money player who did not always achieve at the level that the money justified. So Mahomes has a whole bunch of weapons, right, with uh, Tyreek Hill, one of the fastest players in the NFL, and we talked about uh, Kelsey at tight end earlier. Sammy Watkins sometimes gets a lot of opportunities because defenses are game planning to deal more with Kelsey and to deal with uh, Hill. And, of course, you're giving up something when you focus on those two guys. Well, Sammy Watkins has filled that void at times, and it's been a bit of a redemption story for that former Clemson Tiger at wide receiver, just like Richard Sherman has his own redemption story on the other side. And and they might be uh, one-on-one at times in this matchup on Sunday night. Yeah, so you're going to have players in the league from the storied ACC programs of a few years ago, FSU, Miami, uh, of course, Clemson in the past few years. But I think there are three Pitt Panthers on the two rosters. There are a couple of Duke players on the two rosters. Uh, No Carolina players on on these two particular teams. But 
the the ACC is moderately represented, uh, I, yeah. I think, in the game. Yeah, I think that's right. And for those who don't know, the ACC in the post-expansion era, we'll call it, you know, 14 teams plus Notre Dame out there as kind of a half partner, they have gone from often fifth among the Power Five leagues, as they're called, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC. Uh, years ago, when the ACC was a much more basketball-driven league, and it still is to a degree, but it would often have the fewest players either selected in the NFL draft or on NFL rosters. And fast forward post-expansion, not only the addition of Florida State way back in the 90s, but more recently, you know, adding a Virginia Tech, adding the Miami Hurricanes, adding a, a resurgent Louisville team you know, who sent Lamar Jackson to the NFL not long ago. Uh, the ACC in many years is number two behind only the Southeastern Conference in draft picks or on in, in the players on NFL rosters category. So the league has grown. Of course, if you're bigger, you're probably going to have more players in the NFL just because of the size of your league, the Pitt Panthers being another recent addition that you mentioned, their uh, populating of, of the Super Bowl rosters. Uh, but it's a, it's a great sign because the ACC once made the majority of its money in basketball for a long time, and college sports has really shifted economically where a huge majority of the revenue is dependent on football. So they needed to get better in football. They grew and expanded in large part because of football. And now you see that result with more players in the NFL, more stars in the NFL, uh, and in more draft picks, and in this case, more players in the Super Bowl. So I want to turn now to Kobe Bryant. Uh, mm. The players at the Super Bowl during media day were, of course, asked about the death of Kobe Bryant and his impact on sports in general, et cetera. I've not found anything that says specifically what the league might do pregame, halftime, uh have you heard anything along those lines? And what do you think that that terrible news, what sort of effect will it have on, on this game? Yeah, I hope that it just is a reminder to everybody as a human being or as a sports fan or as an athlete or as a, a mom or a dad. You know, it's, it's a cliche, but a reminder to celebrate every day and, and hug your loved ones and don't take anything for granted because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, I don't think it will impact, you know, the play between the Chiefs and the 49ers. I have not seen an official announcement on any kind of ceremony or way of honoring him. But, uh, you know, I saw the uh, Duke-Pittsburgh bat college basketball game where the players all came out the other night in jerseys that were in purple and gold or T-shirts that had eight, his, Kobe's one number on the front and 24 his other number on the back. And, of course, every NBA team has done something. Uh, the players have had those intentional 24-second shot clock violations in Kobe's honor. Uh, my hometown of Philadelphia, which is also Kobe's, the Sixers, the 76ers, had you know just an elaborate series of events uh, to, to honor the late, great Kobe Bryant. So you know how it is, Charlie. I, I think professional athletes appreciate will to win and passion for greatness and the willing to put the effort in that it requires uh, of, of achieving greatness. And, and Kobe Bryant... I think is recognized beyond basketball players as one of the greatest examples ever of that competitive spirit and that fierce will to win. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that he's one of the rare athletes that's not only revered by many in his own sport, but you're seeing it, you know, really around the world 
uh, and in other sports here in the United States as well. And that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, David Lynn. Thanks also to engineer Gary Kirk. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.